Let me say a few things about what an opportunity looks like. I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't have these kind of dreams, but you may have dreams in your own vocation where you might think, wow, wouldn't it be a great thing if I could, and you can fill in the blank. Uh, it would differ probably from occupation to occupation, uh, from your station in life. But I'm sure that at some point or another, you have daydreamed about doing something that was just, man, knock your socks off amazing. Well, for preachers, or at least for me, um, I have sometimes thought about and wondered, I wonder if I'm, and I'll do it when I'm like at a UT football game or something, and you see all those people in that stadium, I wonder what it'd be like if I could get down there on the 50-yard line and preach, you know, just for a little while. Um, there wouldn't be the crowd, I'm sure, but uh, the, the, the thought of being asked to do something like that, to have that kind of opportunity, man, those are the things daydreams are made of, you know. Um, but more than likely, it goes kind of like this. I, I was asked one time to speak on a lectureship in Indiana, and uh, Brother Tom Holland was on that lectureship too, and I felt, wow, I'm on the same lectureship as Tom Holland. And, uh, you know, it was just like I, I felt pretty pretty big, you know. And, and so I got there. And it was one of the lectureships like ours where you have different sessions going on at different times. And my session was uh, simultaneous with Brother Holland's session. I had two ladies who chose to come to my class that day. And uh, you see, that's not the way I thought opportunities worked. You know, that's not an opportunity. Uh, but here's... Here's what we need to learn. God can open doors for us, and he'll make opportunities for us when we don't see any way it being possible or successful. A number of years ago, I was asked to speak in West Virginia, and I was living in Kentucky at the time. And so I drove all the way up there to do a lesson that was geared toward teenagers. It was a teenager lesson, but I knew that at this lectureship, I suspected there wouldn't be very many teenagers there, and I was right. When I got there and I looked at my topic that was for teenagers, and I looked out at the assembly, they were all 70 years and older. I mean, almost everybody. And I'm thinking, how in the world? What do I, I've got a lesson for teenagers, and everybody here is long beyond their teen years. I went ahead and presented the lesson as I was asked to do and thought, wow, what a waste. That was just the, I I drove all that way and did all this for nothing. One lady who was in her 50s, I would say, came up to me and uh, she had her daughter with her, teenage daughter. I didn't see him while I was preaching. She was the only young person there. And she said, you know, the topic that you talked about, we have been discussing that and, and we've had an issue with it and, and we've not known exactly how to deal with that. And when you got done, I, I want you to know that my daughter turned to me and said, I know, I now know what to do. And so she said, I, I want to thank you for coming and being a part of this lectureship. Um, it's not what I thought would happen. 
I thought, wow, this is just such a waste of my time. I've driven all this way and I preached a message to people that don't even need it. But there was someone there. It was an opportunity to reach somebody with truth that they needed to hear. And so I want us to look at what opportunity looks like because it's not what you think. It's not the stadium filled with people that are eager to listen and you're standing on the 50-yard line talking. That would be an opportunity, but that's usually not the way they come or present themselves. But they do come, and we need to be ready for them and and take advantage of them. If you have your Bible, open it to John chapter 4 real quickly, and then we're going to get to the book of Acts where our lesson will be taken But in John chapter 4, Jesus has just met this Samaritan woman at the well and had a conversation with her. And and, uh, if you recall, Jesus said, you know, I need to go through Samaria. I I think it was his intent all along to, to reach out to this woman. He knew the things that were going to happen that had not yet happened. He has this discussion with her. She runs back, she's incredulous that he would even talk to her in the first place, and she runs back to the city and says, listen, I found a man that has told me everything I've ever done. He could be the Messiah. Would you come and see? And so as the city listens to her word, on the basis of her word, they start making their way to Jesus And Jesus, in the meantime, is sitting with his disciples and they're talking about things. And he says, guys, listen, the fields are white unto harvest. Lift up your eyes and look. There's opportunity everywhere. Now, I know that he wasn't talking about the fields being white unto harvest, the literal fields, because he said earlier in the chapter that it was not harvest time. So what might Jesus have been referring to when he said, look, guys, look, lift up your eyes. The fields are white under harvest. I suspect that he was looking at this mob of people coming out of the city to go see just who he was. And as they had their turbans on, you know, that that could have even made more meaning as to the the fields are white. I, I don't know. But he could have just had reference to this group of people coming out to him. But there was an opportunity. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white under harvest. We, we miss opportunities sometimes because we don't look for them in the ways that we expect them to come. We look for jam-packed stadiums where I can make a big splash. But God opens different kind of doors for us than just that. He opens doors for us on a one-on-one basis that can make the impact not only in that one person's life, but it can impact, well, through a ripple effect, the lives of many others. Let's see. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter uh, 3 to begin with. In Acts chapter 3, we... uh, what I want us to do in the book of Acts is just, just pick out a few things from various passages that show us what opportunities look like. And as I said, they often come in shapes and sizes that we, uh, well, that might not appeal to us. And they may not appeal to our pride and, and they don't re- rely on our own resources. 
but they appeal to God and they demand His resources. And He opens the door for us, not by our might, but by His providence. He opens the door for us and says, walk through. Sometimes we don't. And and that's what I'm talking about in two weeks. Man, we have an opportunity to reach people with the love of God and the brothers of brothers and sisters in Christ that meet here, don't let this opportunity pass. Oh, are there other things that maybe we could do that, that are bigger and more grand? Well, I guess so. But this will do, won't it? Can't we reach people in this way? In Acts chapter 3, to the early church, to the first century church, opportunity looked like a lame beggar. In Acts 3, verses 1, beginning and going all the way through chapter 4, verse 4, here, here's what happened. They're, they're going to the temple. And by the way, that makes themselves available, does it not? What if they had stayed home? What if they didn't go to the temple? You see, sometimes by being in the right place at the right time, we, we create opportunities for ourselves. The, Peter and John went to the temple and there they found a man who was lame. He was laid at the gates. He had been lame from birth and he stops them. Have you ever gone down a street in New York City? Have you ever gone to a bigger city where people were always just saying, hey, can, can I have a dollar? Can I have a dollar? Do you have any money? How about a, how about a quarter? And, and you know, we, we become so deaf to that after a while that we don't, we just ignore, we walk right by people. And, and, uh, here's a man who for his life has been lame and he's had people carry him and place him down because he knows good temple going folks are going to be passing by this way. And surely, if anyone will help me, these are the kind of people that will help me. He's got a prime spot. And so when Peter and John walk by, he says, hey, alms, alms for the poor. And Peter and John looked at him, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, verse 4, look at us. So he gave his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The guy gets up and he walks. And so he enters the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And can, you can imagine being, there's no uh, progressive healing, you know, just give it a couple more weeks and you'll be even doing better this man has no doubt his, his limbs had atrophied, never having walked. He gets up, he's walking, he's leaping. Who taught him how to walk? Who taught him how to, uh, where did he get the strength to leap? You see, this is the nature of the miracles of God, not, not this stuff that is stealing money and making people rich off the plight of, of people uh, that we see today. But so he goes in and he tells them, these two guys, they, they healed me. And, and so among the leaders, they're disturbed by it. And so they conspire together and they said, what are we going to do with these guys? And so here's what happens. Look at what uh, chapter 4, 
they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Doesn't sound like an opportunity. Wow, look at what trouble we got into because that, that beggar, you know, if we wouldn't have helped that beggar, we, we, look what he did to us. We helped him and now he's gotten us in trouble and here we are in prison. But look at what it says in verse four. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I know on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church, and this is just shortly thereafter. And now, those who heard what had happened and had taken place, they believed the word. And just of the men, now there are 5,000. Yeah, look at what happened because you took time for a lame beggar who many people would view as an inconvenience. Uh, inconvenience. Who, because they end up in prison, are saying, what in the world did we help him for? They're in prison, not what you would think of as an opportunity, but it resulted in conversion. Who would have thought? That's what opportunities looked like in the first century. An opportunity in the early church looked like a lame beggar. Another, turn, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. In the early church, opportunities looked like a, a church problem. In Acts chapter 6, there were all these people that were there in Jerusalem because they had come for uh, the, the feast, and now they learn the gospel, and they're trying to learn more and find out what is this all about, and, and so they're hanging around, and no doubt there are hundreds of, Many people to try to, how are we going to take care of these people? You know, we have a church that, that is growing and growing and, and there are people away from their homes, but they're hanging around to learn more about this Jesus and, and there are widows. They can't go out and get a job. They can't work. Who's going to take care of the widows? And so the church had gotten organized and there were people who were caring for the, the Jewish widows. But a complaint arose, a murmuring. That's number one. That's not how you deal with problems in the church. You don't murmur about it. But that's what they're doing. They're murmuring about these Grecian widows, these Gentile widows. They're not being taken care of. And, well, quite frankly, I don't think that's probably by accident either. I think some guys got together and they decided who they're going to help and they realizing these people are, well, you know, there's still that Jew-Gentile thing. They don't have that all figured out yet. And so they're taking care of their own. And so there's a murmuring and they say, you're not helping the Grecian widows. And so they assign some people to help the Grecian widows and look at what happens, verse 7. Then... The word of the Lord spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Opportunity looks like a church problem. And there was quarreling in the church. There was a murmuring in the church. There were people who were showing partiality in the church. But because it was handled, that doesn't sound like opportunity, but because they handled it properly... It resulted in growth. A great many people believed. You see, 
It's not because of our might. Sometimes opportunities appear not that are created by our own resources, and they may not be uh, something that, uh, you know, appeals to our pride. It's the working of God. Who can take a problem and turn something good out of it? God. You see, he's the one who opens these doors of opportunity for us. And, and we need not shut them or ignore them or not go through them because that's not the way I had it pictured in my mind. I didn't picture opportunity as a lame man. I didn't picture opportunity as a problem in a church. See, it was much more glorious what I had in mind. God can use these base things. Look what else. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 8. And in the early church, an opportunity looked like persecution. Saul of Tarsus is now taking limelight in the book of Acts, and he has, uh, he's very zealous, and he has uh, begun to persecute the church. He was consenting to the death of Stephen, chapter 8, verse 1. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And they, they bury uh, Saul, uh, Stephen. And, and Saul, verse 3, made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. How's that an opportunity? You got a guy working against you. You got a guy who has political backing and he's going around. He's taking you and consenting to your death and putting you in prison. That's not an opportunity. Oh, yes, it is. It just doesn't come in the way we'd want it. Because look at verse four. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What might have happened if there was no persecution in Jerusalem? Everybody might have just huddled and had the biggest church in the country. I mean, we're going to have a church of, you know, 100,000 people here in Jerusalem because we're all just going to huddle here and be this really big, growing, fabulous church. There was persecution where they're going into your home and grabbing you. And some were put to death and others were put in prison. And so they flee. But by fleeing, they fled with the gospel. And people learned the truth that otherwise might not have learned the truth. And as an, way, by way of an example, we have Philip who, verse 5, goes down to Samaria and he preaches Christ and has great success. And, and we go on from there. But you see, again, there's an opportunity It's not the way you would want it to come. Persecution. But look at the good that resulted from it. Look at how many people heard the gospel. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 15. What does opportunity look like? Well, what did it look like to the first century church? Here's what it looked like. It looked like personal conflict. You know, there's church trouble, and now here we have personal trouble. Paul and Barnabas... 
They're missionaries. They're going on these trips together. They're going from city to city to city and establishing churches. They're risking life and limb together. You know they have to have a camaraderie, a bond that has been built between them because of the the harrowing experiences that they have endured. And so they're going forth and doing this work. And and they took a young man, John Mark, and, and he, I don't know what happened to him, but at some point he just backs out. He doesn't go with them any farther. I don't know if he got sick, if he was scared, if he got homesick, you know, what, whatever. He turned and left and they were counting on him. Or at least Paul didn't want to risk taking him along anymore. Because at the end of Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, we see that they're ready to go on another missionary journey. And Barnabas is minded to take John Mark, said, let's give him another shot. And Paul said, nothing doing. No, uh, he, we, we took him with us on the last trip and he went home. I'm not taking him again. But Barnabas says, no, I, I want to take John Mark. And maybe the appeal of bon- Barnabas was even heightened by the fact that, according to Colossians, Barnabas and John Mark were cousins. So there's that family connection. Maybe that's why he's pleading his case. But, you know, I tend to think that knowing what I know about Barnabas... He would have come down on that side of the issue, whether they were related or not. I mean, everywhere you see Barnabas in Scripture, he was doing good stuff. He was a good man. And he's trying to throw his arm around this man, this young man who had made a mistake, and and try to recoup him. And and Paul, I, I guess, sees the journey too critical and says, I'm not taking that chance. I'm not risking it. And look at what it says. The contention, verse 39, became so sharp that they parted from one another. How's that opportunity? Personal conflict. God can open a door in personal conflict. Because look at what it says. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed being commanded, uh, commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Here's what happens. They both just go separate ways, but they go teaching the gospel. More ground is being covered. More people are being reached. More territory is learning of Jesus because of the contention. They had an opportunity. It's not the kind of opportunity that you would think, but it's the kind that God opens. He gave them an opportunity through a personal conflict. And just one more for by way of example. Acts chapter 16, uh, if you'll look at verse 20, going on down through verse 33. Opportunity looks like imprisonment. Paul and Silas have been put in prison. The charge was made that these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They're troublemakers. They've come to our city. Do something about them. Arrest them. And they did. They arrested them. They beat them and threw them in chains and stocks and put them in the inner prison. And there they were. doesn't sound much like an opportunity. But God's working. And he brings a great earthquake that night and causes the doors of the prison to be open and the chains to fall off and people can escape. And Paul and and the jailer sees what's happening and he takes his sword. He's ready to kill himself. 
because of his responsibilities. And Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Nobody's, nobody's run off. Don't, don't kill yourself. And a jailer came in and fell down before Paul, who had been singing hymns about God. And he came in, he said, men and brethren, what should we do? Um, what must I do to be saved? And whether he's talking about salvation from this earthquake and, and you know, the responsibility, how am I going to do this? I don't, it doesn't matter to me whether he's talking about salvation from sin or salvation from this thing, this event that just happened. I know what Paul's answer was and how he responded to that question. He talked about salvation. And he said, uh, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. And he taught the gospel to him. And that very hour, that night, he was baptized and he washed the stripes of Paul. Maybe he himself had put on his back from the whippings. Opportunity and imprisonment? Yeah, because that jailer and his household were baptized. And... Because of the way they treated Paul as a Roman citizen, man, he has the upper hand on them. He could have gotten them in so much trouble for doing that. They beat a Roman soldier. You're not, or a Roman citizen. You're not allowed to do that. And so Paul has the upper hand on them. I think he probably leveraged and endured the beating that he endured for the sake of the brethren there. Because he always had that. Now listen. I'm not going to say anything right now, but you leave these people alone. And if you don't, you see, now he's got leverage. It's a tough way to advance the cause of Christ, but it worked. It was an opportunity. My point is that as I look at this, just this brief casual look in the book of Acts, opportunities look like lame beggars. They look like church problems. They look like persecution, personal conflict, imprisonment. You see, they don't come in the package that we expect them to come in. Opportunities come in many shapes and sizes, and and sometimes they're the farthest thing in the world that we could ever imagine. I see opportunity as me standing on the 50-yard line and preaching to 50,000, 100,000 people, and, and they all respond to the gospel. That's Man, that's an opportunity. That may not be the one the Lord gives. The Lord may say... I want you to drive all the way to West Virginia and preach a sermon to a bunch of people that it really doesn't apply to, but there will be someone there that needed to hear it. Opportunity may mean we have a day when we're going to invite friends, family, co-workers, classmates. You may not think they would ever be interested You may not think or see any long-lasting good that might come from such an invitation. But I've seen it in the past. I I know what can happen. By taking this come-see approach, I I know what happens. People fall in love with Jesus. And it still happens today. And there are people here this morning that that happened to because of Friendship Day. And I'm saying just don't pass up this opportunity. Let's do our best, 
even though it may seem small and insignificant to us, let God open the doors for us. Let's walk through and let's let um, what takes place and the changes and the impact that our contribution makes, let's leave that all up to God. But let's do our part. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, you have the opportunity this morning to surrender your life to him and say, I'm tired of living for myself. I want something better, something bigger. I want purpose in my life. I want heaven when I die. If that's the case, do what he said. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, we'll assist you in that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, you have the opportunity this morning to say, I want to start over. I'm ashamed of what I've been, what I've done, what I've thought. And I want you to pray for me that I'd be stronger and more faithful. And we'll do that if you'll come as we stand together and sing.